0: Welcome, this is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
1: Hey, Rob Fortress Fortney here. haven't been here for a long time. How you doing?
3: John Mike is here on Iron Radio again, and I am finishing up my doctorate in exercise phys. I write for major fitness and bodybuilding magazines, and I just had lunch, and I'm going to go
0: train later.
2: <laughs> this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist, teacher for Globe University, and Skype hates me.
0: <laughs> yes, it does. Today, anyway. <laughs> it's a fickle thing. All right. So we're going to jump into a topic here momentarily. But first, I wanted to resurrect a little segment called Achievements in Training. We did this many episodes ago. And I thought it's just a nice way to talk about, you know, gym talk sorts of things. And not necessarily just gym. It could be something you learned or read or ate, you know, anything like that. And actually, um, just before I hit record for the second time, uh, Fortress and I were talking about this. But I'm actually going to chalk up an achievement. to I'm still training around my um, <laughs> broken down right elbow. Uh, that surgical repair just doesn't hold up anymore and I'm not going to bore people people don't want to hear about old guys with bad elbows but it, what a bizarre um series of events you know from a surgical repair that was like robotically strong for years and then you know it hurt and swelled up and then I got water on the elbow and I've got an ace bandage around it now and it's making disgusting, crunching sounds when I move it, and I'm like, fantastic. I don't know. Is there a warranty? Can you get a warranty on, like, new <laughs> elbows? That's, that's what I want. But like I said, I'm taking the achievement that I'm continuing to train. Anytime I bench press over two and a quarter, it just feels really stunned. Like, I really don't think the triceps tendon is fully attached.
3: We might have to go get an MRI or something. Well,
0: I know, and I just don't have the time until the summer, you, or, you know, the time or the money right now. Have so. you ever
1: heard of a staple gun?
0: There you go. Maybe that's it. Home repair.
1: <laughs> you guys and you doctors, you're always trying to look at the, the, the most difficult way to go about things. Trying to be all sanitary. Yeah. And, you know. Just go and just yeah. jam some staples in there. Do some overheads. You you're fine, man. Barely get not. a pump. You'll be all right.
0: <laughs> and get a pump? Is that what you said? Yeah, man. Staple it down. Get a nice pump. There you go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's not, not too much a pump can't fix.
0: Anyway, so, yeah, you know, and like aren't I said, you, I'm serious. are you glad that I'm
1: back on the show, Lonnie?
0: You know what? That's an achievement for you. You're back on the. You're back on the show.
1: <laughs> it would seem so.
0: Going to grace us with your with your uh, fortressy presence.
1: My buffoonery.
0: Anyway, I don't know. What about you, uh, Doctor Nelson? You do anything exciting lately?
2: Not a lot. I guess the big achievement is I've been able to train more recently after kind of burning myself out for a while. Actually, I've been doing more <laughs> scary enough aerobic base training. And just um, like three days a week, just taking one exercise, it seems to go well, like uh, trap bar deadlifts Today just did some pulls from eh, probably like a two-inch, three-inch blocks and just adding some lighter hypertrophy stuff after that and doing more aerobic stuff on the other days, actually. So it seems to be doing better and I don't have to sleep 10 or 11 hours every night now. So it's progressing, but it's 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 hard to like hold yourself back from doing more right as you start to feel better. Because I don't want to keep, you know, digging the same hole I did before. So it's yeah. progressing though, which is good and yeah, a few months will be pretty close back to normal. So. Yeah. Of course you've been traveling and all that too, but you know, Yeah, traveling and gone and a whole bunch of other stuff too. So yeah. How about you,
0: Big John?
3: Um let's see. I mean I've been doing conjugate periodization for the last year and uh, my lifts have just I mean, everything about my training has just improved just dramatically just from Doing all the conjugate stuff and bands and chains and speed work. I did uh, five ten uh, box squat about three weeks ago just for a last set for a single. Um, I've been doing sumo stiff leg deadlifts to get those are hammy. brutal. Yeah, wow. glute, uh, for hammy and glute work and I, I love those a lot. Um, whenever I do them, I'll, I'll alternate between using um, like the orange bands and then you know maybe hundred pounds uh, you know for chains. Um, you know, floor press with an axle with chains. I did uh three thirty-five uh good mornings with the safety squat bar. You know, I don't do good mornings very often because I just don't, you know, it's not that they don't they don't work or don't have any transfers, just they I rather do other things that are a little bit maybe a little bit more effective and especially like with the safety squat bar and with good mornings and that specific position like slightly above ninety degrees. You know, it'll move you forward. Of course, you know, that's natural, you know, with the bar. But, you know, sometimes your neck might be in a little um, abnormal type of position. So I don't do those uh, GMs with that bar a whole lot. I'd rather do it with a camber bar, just a regular bar, um, like a suspended chain, which is I I usually do them. If I do that exercise, I'll just do suspended chain. And um, I don't know if anybody has done these probably, but um, just back extensions of um, the glute ham raise, but actually holding – you know, regular bar and loading up the bar with, you know, 115, 135 and, and doing back extensions off the, um, off that for, you know, for sets and reps. And I've been doing a lot of grip training work, um, you know, about the last year. And, um, I mean, I could probably double overhead about 500 right now. Um, nice. so, um, other than that, I mean, it's been going good. Um, so I just typically alternate, you know, speed and some max effort stuff or, I mean, my max effort work is not really like max max. They're more like circa maxes or, or training maxes. Um, you know, when I think of like max things, I think of, you know, in a powerlifting meet or the things in a strongman competition. So, um, right. I haven't been traveling much, um, which is good, but, um, I'm, I i do not have a date set yet for my dissertation, but we're probably about three to four weeks out uh, right now. Yeah. That'll be an so, achievement
0: soon. Yeah,
3: yeah, for sure. So it's uh it's been pretty exhausting with the writing and stuff and it's getting really antsy. So uh that's what's that's what's been going on here um since the last couple of months. I had a a peer review for a strength and conditioning journal article come out in, in February issue and then for Personal Training Quarterly, uh for March, and then I have one coming out for the June issue as well for uh N S C A personal training quarterly. So so what about what about you, Mommy, besides your torn tricep. Well, you know,
0: I, I actually took the, I didn't mention what I was doing, but I'm actually taking the opportunity to get, to get back to like higher frequency training because yeah. my schedule is so bizarre that, uh, like this, this past week I got up at like five thirty in the morning and I'll literally just go downstairs. I'll warm up, uh, like on a, you know, elliptical or something. And then I'll just like squat bench and roll. I mean, no kidding, with really not heavy weights, you know. Uh, And then on the alternate days that I don't get up early and do that, I'll do more of a regular workout in the afternoon, you know, more sets, more load, just the whole thing. Um, But I figure if my elbow is going to be shutting me down, because it's amazing if you lose a joint like that as far as functionality, I mean, what can you really do with it, you know. So I'm like, well, I'm going to up the frequency then. You know, I'll play with this until such time I can – uh, you know, get back to something a little bit heavier, you know? Yeah.
3: So. That's kind of a, that's kind of a good segue. I, I think, you know, here momentarily to our topic, because I mean, I, I know people that that squat like barbell heavy squat, you know, three times a week. So right. that's kind of where a lot of the ind- individual differences and in responses come in. But um, I think training frequency Um, overall is is pretty undervalued and underappreciated.
0: Well, that's what I've had to do with myself. Right now it's out of necessity, right? I mean necessity is the mother of invention. So if I can't lift heavy, then if I can't go over two and a quarter on most things, well, I mean I can do – you know, I can squat in the threes and not have to worry too much. But the the point being is then I'll just do it more often. And like you said, I can mix it up because when I'm doing this in the morning – I don't know. It's almost just like conditioning stuff, you know. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm doing it instead of something that I would consider useless, like going for a jog, and I just do it more often anyway. Some, something to work with anyway, until I can, you know, <laughs> get the repair and get back in the race, like Danny John said. You
2: done any blood flow restriction training or anything like that since you've got a little bit of a injury on that side and that type of thing? Blood flow restriction, no. Yeah, because there's some pretty good lit- literature on that showing that even 30% of 1RM uh, may be useful for mm, debatable about building hypertrophy and strength. It probably can. Um, but there's some really good literature using it with um, bed rest studies showing a marked uh, decrease in the amount of atrophy and that type of thing. So oh. it may be a way to hmm. modify the load to be lower and still get a you know decent response from it.
0: Yeah, I'm open to almost anything right now, but I'm telling you the weirdness of h- having instability in a joint, weakness and instability. Uh, the pain is maybe only a three on a ten scale. You know what I mean? But it's just it's just so yeah. bizarre to have a joint not not be there for you. And I, I don't want to be like I want
3: to check out a good chiropractor too because I I go every two I go about twice a month and I swear it's it's saved me a lot.
0: Maybe I don't know. I've I've met some good chiropractors and some ones that are pretty hokey so if i were if i were to go do that frankly and i don't want to piss off any listeners but i'd be really choosy because we've even had one or two on the show that really i kind of rolled my eyes frankly you know so (laughs) yeah yeah if they stick to what they're supposed to do but honestly like you said um earlier i just need to get the mri scan i need somebody to confirm what the hell's wrong with it because if you don't go take a look it's just a stab in the dark you know and everything else i'm doing is just trying to hit or paddle around the real problem you know so if i have to go back in there like i said i want a freaking warranty (laughs) anyway so fortress um you almost got in a scrap with somebody do you want to talk about that or no
1: oh oh oh, oh, yeah yeah i forgot about that (laughs) yeah uh yeah last week some uh guy was just uh i was over by the squat rack and he was mouthing off about, he said, I was pervert on his girlfriend the week before or something staring at her butt. Which, of course, was absolutely not true. I asked, I uh, had asked her if she was using the rack for many more sets, and uh, she said two, so I just waited there for her, and apparently that she didn't like that. She's kind of one of these chicks around the gym that thinks she's all that, so mm. apparently she went and told him, and he's kind of one of these juice bag douche bags that, you know, just <laughs> thinks he's all that, too, so he was mouthing off, and I just I, I welcomed him to the challenge at any time, and he never took me off on it. So <laughs> I kept saying, I kept saying, "Man, you're really flapping your jaws around a lot." You know, yeah. I mean, you could you could just do something about it and stop uh, stop wheezing away. And he, he was like, "Well, why don't you do something?" <laughs> I, was, I was like, "What are you? Twelve years?" Old? I was like, "What are you? Twelve years old?" I said, "You got you're the guy with the issue." Take a throw. Take a throw, and he was. I was like, I, so I just was warming up my squats, right? And I just between sets, you know, he, he'd always wait till I was under the bar and doing a set that I'd hear him say something like, you know, effing girl or something like that. So I'd put the bar back, and I'd once again walk over to him and said, "Okay, do it again. Do it now. Well, you do it." <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is going nowhere, man. I said, you know, you're the guy that's flapping your jaws here, like not me. Anyway, so needless to say, nothing happened.
0: It's hard to be aggressive and somehow passive at the same time. You know, you do it.
3: I don't know. Hey yeah, that well, kind of that kind of makes me want to say I know you guys have experienced this and it seems to happen to me. Often when I go to one of the commercial gyms here like uh, for like overhead pricing or even some squat stuff it's like you'll go you'll go in the freeway area by the squat area by squat wrap and there'll be all kinds of people in there and then once you after your warm up and stuff and once you start to get going then all of a sudden like a lot of people just leave in, in your surrounding area you know they're like you left like you start out with like thirty people fifty people there you know and then by the time you're done with your set there's like fifteen eight no because they they because they because they probably think that like you know somebody else is stronger than them or bigger than them and they they want to go someplace else because like they don't want to look like weak or small or you know does that make make sense yeah
1: that definitely happens if there's a guy back there that thinks he's a tough guy and he's got his girlfriend with him then fortress waddles back
0: well i depend i think it depends on kind of gym that you work out at you know in my gym everybody's more or less a a meathead um So and you know what? And lately, I've actually been training at home. Like I said, my until I can get my elbow fixed, I'm thinking, you know, what am I really doing? You know, I'm spending an extra hour half hour to an hour on the road driving back and forth, and I've got uprights, utility bench. I've got you know 365 pounds or something. Um, I got dumbbells up through, the, through 80s. So screw it. You know, I'm just going to do this stuff at home. Then I'm not scaring anybody away.
2: Yeah, I know when I was finishing my PhD, like the ability to walk into my garage and be able to train was so nice and saved me so much time. Because you can get away doing, like you were saying, just higher frequency stuff and not, not feel bad. Like you went to the gym and only did, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes because that's literally all you had time for. Right, it's kind of a waste. Or in the past, it would take you that long to get to the gym a lot of times. So.
0: Right, right on. And, you know, it's like, yeah, the intensity is just not there. And I would just feel like a moron going to the gym and... My tricep work, other than some light benching, consists of, like, pushdowns and kickbacks. I don't even want to do dumbbell kickbacks in public. (laughs) It's like rehab. I don't know. It's it's the kind of stuff we'd make fun of before. Anyway. All (laughs) right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about individual differences. It's a training principle. We've covered overload, specificity, reversibility. You know, these are sort of universal truths. And another one is individual differences. Some people call it genetics, but it really goes beyond that. So we'll be back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you could see ebook. And there's a purchase slash rent option, and the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with VitalBook, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine US dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's gonna. Drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us... We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – Uh, That would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us, and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Iron Radio listeners are a unique bunch. You value both in-the-trenches skills and the research and evidence that informs it. That's why, as a listener-supported show, we occasionally do funds drives to keep everything free and advancing. Did you know your donations at www.ironradio.org pay for web servers, they allow for small sponsorships of gifted competitors or students, and even partly fund research on our specific population. That's what we're asking for during the spring and early summer funds drive. Dr. Lowry, that's me. And some students are on the verge of some key discoveries involving caffeine and explosive lifts. But we need help to get the message out. If you value the authenticity, expertise, and real progress Iron Radio provides, please consider a donation. Any amount is appreciated. But if you can put forward $25 or more and email Robert Fortney at hotmail.com about it, we'll send you some behind-the-scenes audio lab notes that were recorded during data collection. They offer true insight into what research is like on barbell athletes. Thank you for considering it. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, folks, we are back. Uh, It's Dr. Lowry, Dr. Nelson, almost Dr. Mike, and the Mighty Fortress. Fortress. Mighty Fortress. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm, I'm...
1: Hearing that, I'm kind of feeling a little inferior here.
0: Hey, but you had Mighty before your
1: name.
3: Yeah.
0: (sighs) We don't don't have that. that.
1: I guess you could say I'm I'm a doctor of
0: rock. (laughs) That's right. You stated that before, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Your doctorate in rock. All right. Let's talk about this topic here. So individual differences. Like I said, we are kind of marching through some of these training principles. And uh, there's really a lot to talk about, right? Because... When you go on the internet, and I mean, Rob, you do this often. I don't know how you even tolerate it, you know, with the YouTube and all that stuff. But you're, you know, surfing across the interwebs, and you actually, if you read too many articles, these opinion pieces that are presented like fact, you start to wonder, what's real? Like, what's universal about people? Do we differ in everything? You know, but again, that's why these training principles, they're like classic X-Phys 101 training principles – there's still things you have to consider, you know, like we said, reversibility, which is that use it or lose it principle, you know, um, progressive overload. And we had a good topic on that a couple of uh, months ago, people, you can go listen if you want, but it's not just overloading weight on the bar, it could be frequency, like we just discussed, it could be duration, there's lots of things you can overload. Um, Even from a power perspective, you know, how much work can you do in less time. Uh, But anyway, there's lots of these different training principles and one of them that we really haven't touched on much is individual differences let me give you some examples here and you guys can tell me what you think about this but genetics for like natural hormone concentrations i mean the research that i've seen like testosterone varies massively across men from man to man um joint size uh muscle insertions like tendon insertions you know that At least in principle, the lower the tendon inserts, the stronger you probably are there. Maybe a little bit less rotational acceleration, you know, less speed, but really strong because of just where you have your tendons insert. Um, Personality type. You know, some people are type A persons. Some people are just laid back, more type B persons. And that even affects like maybe how long your mesocycles are. You know, like if you get somebody who's more type A, maybe ectomorphic in nature, that sort of thing. I don't know. Maybe they only do eight week mesocycles instead of going 12 or 16 because they just, it wears them down, you know, and they, they can't take that long, brutal kind of thing. Um, there's huge genetic differences, uh, in response to diets, which is why I think there's so much chaos, right? Low carb, no low fat, yeah, this, that, and the other, you know, diet, nutrition stuff. Yeah. The nutrition stuff opens up a whole nother ball of wax. I don't know. Uh, Anything you guys can come up with here about individual differences? I mean, why is it that some people get big fast or get lean fast and others don't? Uh, Just taking what you know from experience or uh, reading, you know, education. uh, Let's start with you, Dr. Nelson. Why do you think people vary like they do in their response to training?
2: Yeah, I think it's probably a combination, like you mentioned, of a lot of different things. I mean, I remember seeing, I think it was a talk from Stu Phillips at ACSM years ago, and they did a, it was a hypertrophy study. I can't remember. I think it was like 12 weeks. And they put the graph up, and they had all the individual responses to the training program. And what you saw is that most of the people were kind of you know, around the middle. There was two poor bastards at the bottom <laughs> who actually <laughs> nothing happened to them at all. And then there was two people way up at the top, and he was saying when they they plotted the data and looked at it, they're like, well, what the heck? You know, and so at first they went through the standard stuff and thought, oh, it must be compliance, must be all this other stuff. Um, and that's actually the hypothesis they had at that time years ago was that maybe the two people at the top, you know, had more of a natural release of testosterone due to the training and that type of thing, which later they showed mm, probably is not really that, not really related to hypertrophy. And it was interesting, he said that the two guys at the top, he called them the beef brothers because I guess both of them were farmers and ate, I don't know how many pounds of meat, he said, per day. And he said just looking at them, he said they had huge, massive joints, I mean, just very, you know, large features. He said, ironically, before the study, they didn't really exercise, you know, that much at all, but they were active, you know, all the time, grew up on a farm, that type of thing. So I think there's some of it's just the, you know, intrinsic type properties and one other thing I've noticed with people, too, is that their ability to handle different types of training stress seems to vary a lot. So I've had you know some people who can do lower rep strength stuff, you know, even not to failure, every other day and in some rare cases every day. But most people, yeah, one to two sessions a week and that type of thing. And then it's – so what I'll do then is I'll do like a strength day, measure their heart rate variability for a while – and see how long it takes them to get back to baseline. Then I'll have them do like a hypertrophy type day, see how long it takes them to get back to baseline. And in some people, anecdotally, it seems like the strength stuff can take them two or three days you know, to recover. And these are people who are doing good nutrition, they're getting enough calories, they're sleeping enough. They're doing all this sort of standard stuff for recovery. Um, but for hypertrophy stuff, you know, in the one case, the one guy is a natural professional bodybuilder, He could do hypertrophy stuff four, five, six days a week with pretty high volume, and he could recover. If he went in and did a strength day, and he's a pretty strong guy, I mean, he was kind of wiped out for almost two or three days. Um, So I think it's just interesting how even there's some sort of intrinsic difference between uh, one person and the next and sort of just how their nervous system most likely is kind of wired too. Right.
0: Now, Fortress... What would you say? I mean, let's expand this from just biological things to social or psychological. What is it that makes some people progress differently from others? Whether it's dieting or bulking or performance or whatever. Uh, the way you think,
1: hundred percent.
3: Talk about so mindset. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a it's a, a total absolute belief your ability to do something.
3: I can probably add one more onto that, uh, kind of an extension of that, is most people just don't, in terms of the training in itself, most people just don't know what it's like to to strain, right? To to strain on the bar, to just, I mean, it kind of goes with the mindset. I mean, most people just want to go in the gym and, you know, do their program and stuff like that, and that's fine. But, I mean, most people just don't know what it's like to just, strain all out, you know, max effort when it comes time for for max effort work. Um, So I I would probably put the inability to um, know what it feels like to strain and to push themselves physically and mentally. You know,
0: John, interestingly, uh, that's one of the things, even in like the NSCA, the slides, you know, that go with the classic NSCA book, Um, They actually talk about that, the ability to uh, handle extreme effort and the relative pain or discomfort that goes with that. Not pain as an injury pain, but, you know, just being able to, I don't know, whether it's natural opioid release you get from training or uh, the mental toughness of just the behavioral adaptations that you get, you know, that you get used to being uh, so aggressive, you know, you're comfortable with it. Uh, but I've even noticed myself, if I take extended periods off, I do. I, it feels more uncomfortable than when I'm doing it every single day, you know. But I can tell you that after many years, I tend to overdo it. You know, like these last few mornings I've been getting up early. Damn, i got to be careful, you know, because, I mean, I'll start putting too much weight on the bar and I'll be like, oh, God, that was not a good idea. And you know what I mean? And it's just my natural tendency. Uh, well, I that's remember- why I
1: think I always said that young guys would the biggest common – problem is overtraining you know and, and young guys I think they skirt the issue of developing a certain tolerance for you know incredible intensity by doing more you know they do more days and more sets and more reps and you know but they and it's you know they diversify their workouts so much and stuff and it, it's it's all in lieu of the fact that they're not really training that hard really you know, beyond yeah. just the excessive volume that's being done, they're not really... Ch- so, yeah, I, I totally concur with that. And I, I'm just coming at it from a different perspective, just the psychology of it, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, it's it's the psychology that is needed to kind of, you know, train yourself to the point where you can actually do those types of things. Yeah, um, we tend to look I mean, so much this. at
0: hormones and, and whatnot, you know what I mean, and joint structure and all that stuff is true, Um yeah, I, think, I mean, I be,
1: it, it's like before you can ever, you know, hope to be something physically, you have to determine your, in your mind that you're that's what you're going to be, you know, that whole kind of, you know, form become, becomes function and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, you are what you do kind of thing.
3: Yeah, there's probably a certain amount of aspect of fear involved, I mean, I, I would guess. I mean, people are just, they don't know how to to push and strain themselves because maybe you know they're afraid of it, or maybe they just haven't been around enough people that do that, and so they don't. Their their frame of reference is is very low. I mean, next almost next to nothing. I mean, if 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 you're in a gym with powerlifters and strongman, and you know you see guys straining and pushing and doing max effort work, and, and then there's somebody over there just they do the same thing over and over again and high volume, high volume. And, and I'm not saying like you know that that's a that's a bad thing, but to to the average. You know, 21, 22 year old, they, they just they don't know what it's like to to, to strain, um, and I don't mean strain that you have to strain like to to pull something off a bone or, or, or to to purposely want to injure yourself. That's not really what I mean. It's just the ability to like more psychological effort. You know?
0: No, that's true. And that may go back to the personality types, too. Maybe that is partly – it's yeah. hard to tease apart genetics and yeah. what you're born with and what you develop. Obviously, your environment shapes your genetics, right? I mean, when they mapped the human genome with the Human Genome Project, it was like, oh, we're going to cure disease and we're going to know what people are like and how to fix them. And not really because epigenetics throws the big wrench into all that. You know, the, what happens to you every day changes your your – what genes get turned on and off. It changes your neurology. You know, all these things are – constantly growing changing you know systems and i think that's why after many years it's funny but you know like when i was at the strength camp recently uh with phil and those guys you know the um olympic lifters there they're like you got to stay loose you got to stay loose until just the right moment you know and whereas in powerlifting it seems more classical to me to get you get tight you know tighten your traps you know get that your neck back against the bar gut tight butt tight everything's tight you know And it's funny, even though I wasn't a power lifter, I always sort of overdid it maybe on intensity, meaning the weight on the bar, you know, and it, it's funny, but my son and I, we were at a kendo practice. It was sort of this guest, um, workshop thing when I was up in Minnesota and the guy kept going, no, look at your face. You know, he's showing me like, he's making (laughs) like scrunching up his face, like, you know, too intense. And you know, because you're almost like fly fishing when you do some of that stuff. You know, you're letting a lot of the biomechanics handle it. And, and even after a, a couple of years of doing it, I really – I would have to make myself sort of relax, you know, and make it, sort of make it more of a, a coordinated whipping action, you know, and not crunch up my face and tighten down. It's just funny how you, you – like you were saying, Rob, like form follows function. You know, I've done it for so many years, I just sort of – I try to apply excessive muscular force, you know. All right, I want to ask this to Dr. Nelson mostly because you're always clever with the way you assess clients, you know, um, biometrically. But how would you assess some of these things? You said heart rate variability. Um, I don't know, family history? Uh, Are there different, like, classical assessments you would do for – range of motion or flexibility or a movement screen or what tips you off that someone's going to be good at one thing or another?
2: Yeah. So what I look at is if I'm trying to, so I'm, I'm sure people have done this. Like you just kind of walk around and you, I watch everyone walk cause I do gait analysis. So you see how well people move and that type of thing too. Um, one thing I notice too, a lot of times is just joint structure, right? So in general, People with bigger joints are probably going to be you know, stronger, bigger features, that kind of thing. Um, what I do on an individual level with clients, since you're not really able to change and control those things, um, I do run HRV, so heart rate variability, uh, for two reasons. Uh, one, I want to know sort of what their baseline stress is, and also gives me their resting heart rate. So it gives me a little bit of a clue into their uh, cardiac adaptations, and then I want to see how does that change over time, especially in response to stress. So more advanced clients, you know, that's going to be probably their training stress. You know, other clients, a lot of times it's more lifestyle dependent. So if they didn't sleep well for three nights, you'll see their HRV becomes more stressful. And then once they kind of look at that graph, it, it's uh, a big awareness for them, so they can see changes. Because a lot of times I think people just say, ah, I, you know, I didn't sleep well, but I'll be okay, you know. But to see a little number decline, it all of a sudden becomes more uh, realistic for them. Um, in terms of more on the biomechanics side, I don't. I used to do more, I guess you could say, fancier stuff. Sometimes I do, depends on what I'm looking at. But in general, if I'm training somebody in person, I'll watch their gait patterns. So as they walk back and forth between rest periods, just to see if that's um, changed. You can also do just simple range of motion tests. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I have someone that's going to do an overhead lift, the simplest thing you're going to do is does their arm go actually all the way overhead? Um, And if the only way they can get their arm overhead is to bend their elbow and to hyperextend from their low back, probably not going to want to put a huge heavy load on that because it's going to be a compensation. Um, The other thing you can do too is with range of motion is just do a range of motion test, but just stop uh, right when you feel any type of tightness. So what you're looking for there is just to see um, how much more range of motion you'll get from doing different exercises. Um, which is kind of interesting. So, for example, if someone's going to do um, deadlift, I don't really care if they do sumo, conventional, or Jefferson, you know, if they're not competing in a powerlifting or strongman event. So I'll just have them test each one. So I'll do a sumo with a warm-up weight, and see how your range of motion is, do a conventional. Maybe I'll have them do a third, like an asymmetric, like a, a Jefferson or a straddle deadlift. Whichever one allows their body to get a little bit more range of motion, Yeah, that's the one we'll probably do that day. Um, just as it's some indicator saying that uh, biomechanically, I seem to you know prefer uh, that type of lift. Right? So, you know what? General, that's can, kind of what I use.
0: If I can clarify uh, to listeners, and you can correct me here, but because I don't use this, but heart rate variability essentially, you're just looking at minute differences in beat to beat time frames to get hints about like their autonomic nervous system. For example, is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, so you're looking at the millisecond changes from one, um, it's called an R to R interval, but from one heartbeat to the next. So even though you're resting, you may be at, let's say, 70.5, maybe 71.4, 69.8. It's going to vary a little bit from one beat to the next. So that fine scale variability is a marker for their autonomic nervous system. And listeners, So what percentage? Is yeah. it parasympathetic? Rest and digest versus sympathetic, which is more the fight or flight arm of the nervous system.
0: I was just going to say this is not the same. This is valid, listeners. This is not the same thing as some of the people talking about. Just measure your resting heart rate when you wake up. That might have a little bit of information. Oh, like my metabolism's fast or
2: slow. I mean, there's many things that can affect your heart rate. Keep it next to your bed. Get up, put your feet over the bed, put it on, do the measurement. And currently, I don't have them do it at any other time of the day. Right, because yeah, exactly it, what you said. You want the same state that they're in every single time. So if something yeah. changes, then it'll show up in the measurement.
3: Yeah, I remember like some people. Like for example, my mom sometimes in the past would, would go have some coffee right before she goes to the doctor and gets her blood pressure taken, and, and <laughs> she wonder, and she wonders why like it's all jacked up. I'm like, you just had coffee. Like it takes you know just only a several minutes just to jack up your your BP and your, you know, your catecholamine response. You know, you guys,
0: I actually, I went to the Red Cross once to donate because I try to do that occasionally and for both my health, I think, and for other people. But I went in there and uh, I had a 16 ounce coffee at the coffee shop before him. And I don't know if I've ever said this before, but the girl served me 16 ounces of espresso and I drink coffee so dark and so strong. (laughs) I drank it all. And I went in there, and she's like, I'm sorry, sir. She, she said, your resting heart rate's 139. We can't accept your blood. <laughs> and I went back to that girl. I'm like, you're serving me 16 ounces of espresso. Uh, I don't know. You're getting me kicked out of the red crime I'm going to be on that the was, shit list there, you know. That was awesome. It's crazy. Did you go lift? Actually, uh, I don't think I did. <laughs> I probably should have. Squat uh. 600 pounds, um, which is good for me, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, from a nutrition perspective, it's hard to, without knowing people's genetic differences, you know, uh, there's a funny, a lot of funny things that we actually ask or seemingly funny to try to get at the individual differences. You know, like if, if you're going to pull carbs or fats out of somebody's diet, it's a good idea to look at their family history. You know, these are traditional things that we would look at in nutrition and dietetics. Like, you know, do you have a family history of type two, but diabetes, because that, there's a strong genetic component there. You might be a poor carb metabolizer yourself. You know, maybe we want to pull carbs out of that guy, uh, guy's diet instead of fats. But I think Lots like of things also, like that.
3: Uh, also, too, it just in my experience working with other athletes and clients, and I think a lot you guys will agree, it, in with the nutrition aspect as well as the training, nobody just wants to take the time to really understand how they respond to certain things. Just even over a short period of time like say four weeks or six weeks you know let alone like months or years and i mean and as time goes on and, and as you age and as you do different things you respond differently over the course of say six months to, to anything oh, yeah. it could be carbs oh, yeah. it could be fats or proteins so People just don't want to take the time to to learn to monitor either. They, yeah, exactly. To monitor how they respond, it, it's always so. Well, this study said this, and this study said that, and it, and it's nothing to be critical about with with training studies because we need those, and they're really important. But it's all it's also to the well, my my buddy said this, and my buddy's doing this, so I tried this, and you know my 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 friend, and it's just well, why don't you just try it out yourself and see if it works for
0: you? You know, let me give you some examples, like. From nutrition, in in a like a nutrition assessment, you know, you go and you get a workup. It's not just family history. There's drug history, surgical history, medical history. You know, there's so many different things that go into this. Uh, you, simple weight stable history. You know, are you trying or are you accidentally you know gaining or losing weight? You know, like unintentionally. Uh, there's so many different things that you can get at. You know, that suggests individual differences from exercise phys. the classic perspective is let's do some assessments before we start planning. You know, you get these diet books and these gurus on the Internet and stuff and they start. I do it like this. So you should, too. Well, that's mistake number one. Right. Because mm-hmm. of this individual differences principle. Yeah. That's why we do assessments simple. Even if it's just flexibility and range of motion you know it could be sit and reach some shoulder rotation it could be muscular endurance it could be cardiovascular endurance it could be muscular strength and then you kind of get a battery of tests or even somatotype right so this is fun for a lot of listeners but researchers and of course you guys are familiar with this but researchers have tried to go beyond just body composition or joint size and that sort of thing and categorize people as naturally mesomorphic right just massive muscular guys endomorphs that are more round and carry more body fat and then of course ectomorphs which are thinner and more angular and you can actually use these at least in a limited fashion to get an idea like i said you might not want to have an ectomorphic person especially if they're a type a psychology And you're not going to string them out for 16 weeks with a pure strength mesocycle, you know what I mean, of training. So it's fun to kind of give yourself – and by the way, you can give yourself numbers, right? So you could list yourself from a 1 to a 7 scale on each of these. Nobody's a pure endomorph or a pure mesomorph. Some people are close, but it's kind of fun to say, I think I'm like a four six two on these three somatotype scale, you know, kind of thing. Uh, But – that's another attempt to make things as individual as possible. Uh, I want to ask Rob, though. So, why um, why did you get away from bodybuilding and move toward powerlifting? Were you at some point? Were you just like, <clears throat> "I'm built for this, not that"? And why?
1: Um, th- all the things that didn't involve specific weight training in preparation for a bodybuilding competition just held less and less appeal to me um, to the point where we're starting to feel a little bit silly and going against kind of like who I am, what I like to do. And I've always been better at lifting anyway, and that's really what I've always been into it for. So,
0: Why do you think? I mean, what is it about you as an individual that makes you good at the powerlifting side of things? Because I know what I could say one thing about you that really stands out to me just being around you in the gym like I have but you have an ability to do pretty damn heavy loads with an enormous amount of volume like total volume involved you know what I mean so like weight volume so you'll go do stuff like 10 sets of 10 with 315 you know that would ruin most people now 315 that's more than the average guy can squat but it's not going to, you know, ring any bells for a high-end powerlifter. You know what you know, I mean? You're there's only, to there's only one time wall. that I've
1: ever done 10 of 10 with 315 just to see if I could do it. And the interesting about that, I'm only going to bring this up because you brought that up yourself. Do you know I didn't get even 1% sore from doing that?
3: Holy oh. shit. Oh,
1: I, uh... wow. <laughs> no, and I'm not saying it to brag. I'm saying it because it actually kind of freaked me out, too. Um because you got to know that when I was done that, my lower back was cramping like crazy, as you can imagine, right? And I, I, I remember going home thinking, oh, I'm going to pay for this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really gonna, this is only like maybe four or five years ago. And I was like, I'm going to pay for this bad. And I didn't even get even stiff from it.
0: Um, yeah, that, well, that's strange. exactly what I mean. I, uh, I think that's an unusual trait. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that, you know, you're like, I really like training. And I know you've been questioning even, you know, you're sort of hot and cold, I guess, with the the powerlifting competition side of things. But, yeah. you know, you yeah. love the training. And I think because for whatever reason, I don't know, bigger joints, you know, sometimes I joke that you're you're built like a refrigerator, you know, you're as wide as you are tall and as deep as you are wide kind of thing. I mean, compared to like when you bodybuild, you know, and you try to – well, and you were. You were shaped more like that before, you know, with the smaller waist and this and that and it just – as opposed to being big all over, you know. You and, know,
1: like I think I think – the re- there's two reasons I think that I, I'm geared more toward that. A, I'm just... Vi- anything I say is going to, of course, sound like I'm being arrogant, but I, I'm only saying this strictly. I think I'm very, very physically tough. I can take a hell of a lot of abuse, which is always good when you're <laughs> going into <laughs> hardcore strength training. And my, The psychology that I have, which goes always oh, back to what we were talking about 15, 20 minutes ago, the whole idea of You know, there has to, I mean, obviously if you're going to be a power lifter or, you know, strongman or anything that, I mean, you have to have that ability just to kind of circumvent the whole kind of, um, you know, uh, the human governor that we have in all of us, you know, that kind of just tries to save our, save our ass, you know, and kind of be able to psychologically work past that, you know, and I've always been able to do that. I've always been able to go way beyond any sort of semblance of sanity. But, you (laughs) You know, know, you've got the
0: structure, though, to survive that because I'm more ectomorphic, obviously, than you are, and unfortunately, I share your mentality on a lot of things, and then my joints give out or something like that. You know what I mean? Because it was too abusive or I went too long, and I th- yeah. almost think that's one of the reasons I've got some of the, uh, you know, the joint issues I've got now and stuff is I've long trained around power lifters, at least from maybe my 30s on. I'm not trying to do the same thing they're doing because I know I'm not built for it. But, you know, like we were saying earlier, you see that around you. I think you were saying this, John, you know, strong power powerlifters, you see what they're doing and they're grinding against heavy weights and you just – you get aggressive and you start doing that yourself, you know. And if you're – if you've got the flex wheeler kind of ecto-meso physique, which I think makes the best bodybuilder actually, you know, small joints, a little more angular, a little leaner, but you also can carry some good muscle belly size, um, you've got to be careful because the very things that make you good at bodybuilding – uh, can be weaknesses when it comes to getting hurt when you're too aggressive with the weights.
3: Yeah, unless you're unless you're somebody like Ronnie Coleman who who's just a a freak of nature that he was actually, uh, you know, did some powerlifting stuff and um I mean he won his first, you know, a few bodybuilding contests and you know stuff like drug free, but I mean, you know, those but those those types of guys are just, you know, like you were saying Mike, you know, earlier. I mean, those are like the two outliers, you know, on the graph. Genetic I mean, he just, freaks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, So, and, and, you know, I'm not saying like I'm a genetic freak, but I mean, all the volume and stuff that I do for my assistance exercises, I mean, I probably do about 250 reps a week for, for back work. Um, And and I just, I mean, I get a little bit of tight tightness, but I just don't get much, I don't get sore a whole lot anymore. But, you know, when I do um, reps with squat, like free bar, um, free bar squat, no box squat, you know, if I do reps with those, uh, I mean, I, I get sore like in my quads and, and my glutes a little bit, so it kind of just depends. And it kind of goes back to what we're, the whole topic of this conversation is: some people just don't get sore. And you know, when you're talking about muscle damage and things like that, you know, people have people are high responders, low responders, yep. and no responders. Yep. I mean, it's like you know, if, 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 if Fortress is doing ten by ten on 315, I mean. He's just he doesn't respond you know to muscle damage other people may do half that amount of volume and be, and be, and be you know John for three or four
0: days yeah that's uh, me I mean there's actually yeah. a condition because I would get so sore from almost anything if I do negatives really of any kind of eccentric work I get rocked and obviously that's yeah. good for muscle remodeling you know yeah. but uh, you know and I was able to build myself up to like a 230 pound Body weight off season, and at a five nine. You know that's carrying a lot of weight. But I guess my point being is, uh, having access to a lab, I would actually get some blood work done, and uh, my CK levels. You know, which is a classic muscle damage marker, right? Creatine kinase. And oh, for you listeners, but it's um, it was sky high. I mean, off the charts high. And there's actually a condition called idiopathic CKemia. I'm not kidding. Where yeah. some people they they're such responder, they get so sore. And they dump so much CK. Again, it's an enzyme that's naturally in muscle tissue, but it shouldn't be spilling into your blood in huge amounts. Um, and they just do. They get really sore, and they dump CK like crazy. And I don't know. I always kind of thought that might actually be helpful with muscle remodeling and stuff like that. But but it's not exactly going to help with huge volume. you Because know? when you're so rocked, you can barely walk up the stairs the next day. How can you possibly think you're going to do high-frequency work and do some more legwork that day? It's folly. Yeah. you know.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. that's one thing I've been wondering about lately, too, is usually people like, you know, Rob and other guys who have, you know, really big joints. Usually, obviously, the size of their soft tissue is going to be bigger, too. Right, So, a bigger joint, you're going to spread out more of the load over greater surface areas. So you've got less pressure in one area. You also have a lot bigger uh, soft tissue to handle that, too. So, I've often wondered if yeah, yeah. people who are very strong, who can do a lot of uh, repetitive work, especially heavier um, work, and not get injured, I've often just wondered about, you know, doing some type of test on like the tensile properties of their soft tissue. And I think you can sort of remodel that over time. Yes. The soft tissue turns over at such a much lower rate than muscle. You know, and most people, if they have an injury, it's a soft tissue injury. It's much more rare than to have an actual injury to the muscle itself.
0: Yeah. Hey, I have one more. Let me throw out one last thing to you guys, because we're going to wind down here. But what about social? I mean, my wife and I always discuss almost any issue is biopsychosocial. You know, and I always joke I'm bio and she's psycho. <laughs> but, <laughs> so Whoa. I, I got to be careful. So the social side of things, because we touched on the psychology a little bit too, mostly with Rob's comments. But let me ask you, Rob, what, what about on the social side? I mean, individual differences. Some guys are, you know, the lone warrior type. Some people really have to be part of a group like CrossFit or have a training partner to drag them into the gym. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, it certainly is going to go a long way in what we do because, you know, to either make you or break you. Because, you know, it's if you want to maintain this kind of, you know, deal for life, you can't be the kind of person that requires constant, you know, whether it be a training partner or somebody, you know, a personal trainer or somebody, a group of guys that you meet there every Wednesday. That's not going to fly because, I mean, as you, we always talk about, you know, like training, you know, it, it, weight training, it, 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 it's something that just goes on forever. You know, it's not so – and, the, you know, life happens. You know, people get married. People have kids. People move away. Gyms close. Yeah. Your schedule is different. You have to be able to function completely as a – to use your terminology – a lone wolf. Because if you can't, you're always going to be, at best, overly inconsistent. And that's not going to fly. You that's have to be great, able to that's just. That's a great point. Well, you just have to be able to do things, regardless of whether somebody's there. Right, or not. intrinsic you motivation, know. motivation. Right, not yeah, like yeah. external. It's like I always tell. It's like I always tell people, and I've told you this too, Lonnie, because you and I have trained together many times. I love training with people, but I certainly, absolutely, do not need it. Right. You know it don't what I mean? Need like it. if. Yeah. if if you guys are, you know, if we're all in the same city and we're just like, hey, let's go and squat at 4 o'clock and it kind of works out, and it's like, hey, man, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. But, you know, it's not going to change when I owe to, you know, my schedule as far as, you know, when I'm going to go. And, but, I mean, and this is something that I think that people really under, undervalue is, that, is the requirement to have the ability to just function completely independent of everybody else. Yeah. You know because because if you if you 're a like yeah if you 're if you 're looking at weight training or going to the gym or whatever you do, whether it be running or playing if you look at it as something that 's a social thing, I mean that might feed a certain part of your you know uh, of your life and how it is but if you 're if you 're looking at it as a purely a, an expression of you having to go and do this because you 're trying to be bigger or stronger or fat whatever then then you 're going to fail for sure um, you know you have to almost kind of um, Come to enjoy just the kind of the um, isolation.
0: Yeah, the the solitude. It. it can almost be a meditation. You know. Yeah.
3: Because yeah, like I, I yeah, I'm with Rob. It's just like I, I love training around you know people, and I go one of the hardcore gyms I go to in town, and I mean I I train the same way. I mean, like psychologically. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, there's good and bad bad you know training days, but I there's nothing about me and my personality that that changes if I'm the only person in the gym or if there's 25 right. people. Right. No good you know, point. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, yes. it's just you're still you're still in that mindset. You know, like I said, I mean, you have good and bad types of training days, and sometimes you know, I mean, we've all experienced this, and I I experience it. Um, You know, even a couple of times a month, you just you just don't really feel it. So even though it may not be there, like I still. You know, try and just get through the workout. But there's nothing about me that I still put out the same uh, psychological intensity that I do if I'm training by myself or if it's packed with, you know, 50 people.
0: You know what? Um, I've actually been in empty gyms where I thought that. I'm like, I am training as hard or harder than if this gym was open right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's very much not, like Rob said, you don't need the, the social support no you way. have
1: that you have an internal voice that's that's you know taking the place of you know you know the standard youtube you know ten guys standing around the squad or yelling at them kind of thing <laughs> like you, you know that's nice to have that and it's fun because it's fun you know like i love mm-hmm. going to the gym with you know lonnie and stuff if i have a chance and stuff it's it is fun i'm not going to take away from that but it like you said you guys say if nobody's there those voices of encouragement and that kind of that That's all still in my head. That's a good fault. You know, I don't need that. There's, you know, my my, my other self inside my brain is yelling at me just as intensely as anybody else ever could. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. Because it's funny. Clinically, like in nutrition, we're always looking at, or even in exercise phys, you can find actually stuff like um, social support scales. And we're talking about spousal support and how it improves your chance of success and that sort of thing. But then I think about comments like what Doreen Yates used to talk about when he would diet. You know, if the family yeah, was eating something yeah. else, he'd be like, why would I get cranky with my wife? I'm like, he, I just eat the cake. I mean, I'm doing this to myself. How can I possibly blame her yeah. and be cranky at her? And he, so it was very much that even though he's around a family that I'm sure he cared about, it was it was that lone goal, that sacred, you know, sort of higher purpose kind of thing. But you know um,
1: what? It's it's almost something that you almost not have to be adept at it, but you have to almost relish it. And I and I find you know in in you know the the world and how continuously ever more noisy it gets, you know, from information and just everything coming at you and advertising and I I come the older I get, the more I more I actually not only am okay with it and enjoy it. But I actually come to more and more crave it. You know, it's like it's my sanctuary. It's my you know, like that's that's my thing. Yeah. You know, well, that's it, behavior change, it even kind of goes to that whole thing with the guy, you know, a couple weeks ago there, you know, the, the you think you were asking me about the guy wanting to kind of get into it with me. You know, and in my mindset, I'm still training. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know, I'm not moving, you know, and I'm doing my warm up sets and this guy's mouthing off, and I'm thinking to myself you know, whatever. I'm just doing my thing. And it's, it, it's almost like it's so it's so my time and it's so my thing and I'm in so much of my environment that it's almost like this – I mean, I know it's kind of stupid to say it, but it's almost like this false sense of security. It's like, well, nothing can happen to me here. I can never
0: lose here. It's because of the countless positive experiences you've had yeah, in that like, it's environment. it's like you – know, so
1: even, even something is kind of – kind of imbecilic and stupid and immature is the whole thing of this guy threatening <laughs> me even in my mind I'm still thinking it doesn't matter what the, who this guy is or how much he's threatening me or if he comes at me because I'll kill him because this is my place I'm the prince of this castle you know what I mean I'll never lose and yeah. it, it, but it's and, I, and it sounds really really arrogant but I mean you have to be arrogant
0: at that point you know what I mean yeah. like well you know what it is the, you know Rob like I can't even process the idea like if you go under a lift and if you're wise you know you're choosing the right lifts sure yeah you never go under a lift with any expectation except 100 percent confidence you know yep. i'm gonna well, and crush I even this. say to people
1: like when they say that like i don't know if i'll get it i'll say well if you get under a weight and you're not like of course you're not gonna be successful with every weight if you're your stupid attempt. but if rough. you get under a weight and you choose a weight and you're not at least, in my estimation, 85%, 90% sure that you're – not only that, you, you, you know, that you're physically able to structurally at least manage it. Right. Handle it.
3: Then, yeah,
1: you're kind of – well, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. but it's Yeah, yeah it goes back to what
3: I said a long time ago, just the, 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 the fear of, of fear. Oh.
0: You know what I, I struggle with because it's such a positive thing for me. I almost avoid the word fear, but I know what you mean because yeah, – and again, I mean, now I know a lot of people are like, oh, Lowry, that's not very strong. Well, piss off, but if I put <laughs> – once I put 365, there's something about that number – um I get real serious, like this is enough to hurt me now, I know that two and a quarter could probably hurt hell one thirty five could probably hurt me, but for whatever reason, I feel that pressure really crunching down my spine, and the slightest movement forward or back, you know gets exaggerated. you know what I mean the weights are clanging because there 's enough weight on there, and there is that uh if not the word fear threat, maybe you know that this is serious shit that most people don 't do and you're, you you can know what? Staple yourself to the ground. I think
1: that's absolutely normal, and I think that's. But the difference is that people who um, you can either use that fear, or you can, or you can have, allow that fear to to harm your efforts. Yeah, you know. And if you're using it as a way to stimulate yourself, right, and not take to, your focus to a very concise way of thinking, you know, and focusing yourself. Um, you know, then then it can be very very beneficial. But if you look, if it's oh God, this is so heavy, Um, I'm scared of this, and I'm going to fail with this. Right, and, oh, and you get and hysterical. The, you can't be tentative with heavy weight. No, nope. you know, you yeah, can't, you, you have to be have... you have to be bold. You know, and that's what you have to be brazen and bold with yeah, heavy you weight. You
3: can't that have that. Sense you of can't be softy.
1: You can't be soft. You can't be, you know, excuse, you know, to our female list. You can't be, you know, feminine. You can't be, you have to be hard, brutish, arrogant. You have to be just a full head of freaking conceit and steam and piss <laughs> and venom. No, but you know what I mean? And you have to think that way, you know? But, I mean, the, and it, but the, the thing is to be safe, to have balance in life, you have to be able to remove yourself from that as well. You know, you have to be able to be humble and softer and calm when you leave the gym. And that's the, that's the thing that comes with discipline of thought, right, and years and years of doing it. You become to this point almost like that movie with Sylvester Stallone, right, where he's the arm wrestler, right? When he, yeah. And he has his own little – like when he turns his hat, you know, he turns it on. And, but then he can turn it off again. You have to have that because you can't be that 24 hours a day.
0: Oh, no, you'd be an asshole. <laughs> you know, and if you ta- – you, you know,
1: but when you turn it on, you have to be able to turn it on. You know, and when you're in that moment, you have to believe that you're the greatest, you're the shit, and everything revolves around you. And you know what, and Rob di- I think and that's how you gotta think. And you gotta it think is. if you go into, if you go in a gym and it's busy as hell and you got a heavy lift to do, you have to in your mind form a circle around where you're lifting and you have to actually pretend to the point where you believe that you're sucking up everybody else's energy for yourself. Oh, good. There's a, a lot of people here. A lot of people that I got yeah, draw in. Yep. energy too. Yeah. You know, but you have to
0: be that way. Um, but you know what? I was just going to say, uh, in a lot of ways, you, you do have to be that way. And the more you're that way, it shapes your nervous system, I think, and your personality. I mean, you could call this psychology or biology. It's sort of both. That, then when you are in a very serious, like, fight or flight situation you know like last week um this munch ran me off the road and um i didn't panic you know because you're used to sort of i i call it lifeguard mode because when i used to be a lifeguard i had already been lifting for many years and you know when when there's immediate threat and again like i said when there's when there's 365 or 405 or more on that bar, I consider that immediate threat, but you don't become hysterical. You must stay focused. And when you do that for years and years, you can do that. You know, it's like when this chump pulled in front of me, I'm surfing along the edge of this really big ditch. It was almost a ravine. And I just—I never thought of anything. There was no hysteria. There was—I was just focused and trying to say, you know, ride the edge of the ditch so you don't roll, you know. And I—it's just funny how that you kind of snap into that. And I think it's because every time you're under a bar that's heavy enough to be a threat, you force yourself into that behavior, you know. And actually, this guy paid for my toe because the the trooper that came by later, he said, you know, Professor Lowry saved your life because he didn't go to pieces when you pulled in front of him. He—you're alive because of his actions. And the guy's like, oh my God, you know, it's just funny, paid for the toe and stuff. And again, I'm not trying to blow my own horn. I'm just saying, again, back to the topic, you know, that's one of the things that makes you an individual is you develop, I think, your nervous system in that direction, you
3: know? Yeah. and And then as you get older, when you have more life stress, you know, and jobs and family and money and all this other stuff, because of your ability to train and have that type of mindset psychologically, it just transfers over to every other part of your life. Right, exactly.
2: Yeah, I think it's just all the ability to control your state or your mood and then after that it's the ability to, you know, switch back and forth. So if it's I've always been impressed by, you know, the lifters who like you watch like a powerlifting meet, right? And you see the clock, you know, time down and they kind of call me walk up to the platform and, you know, like a couple seconds before the lift, you see that they're extremely focused. They make the lift, set it down and then it just looks like nothing ever happened again. Right, they're the master of turning everything on at the exact moment that it needs to be there, and then as soon as it's accomplished, they're you know back down to almost a normal state again, or even you slightly low. They below. can transition really fast up and then yeah. really fast down again. Mm-hmm. No doubt.
0: All right, fellas, we are out of time. That was a good talk.
2: Yeah, that was All great. Right. Good stuff.
0: Thanks for being on Fortress. We got Yeah, that it. was
2: awesome, man. You're good to ba- Good to have you back Thank on. Thank you for gracing us with your presence from Canada. Yeah. Eh? Yeah, Uh indeed. No, it's uh, good times. All right.
0: Descend from Valhalla, you know, and uh, impart some (laughs) fortressy wisdom. All right, fellas. Good talk later. See you. Thanks. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. uh, Knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.